Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Lydia Walker currently serves as the program manager of Labonner Children's Hospital's Supporting and Healing Individuals from Trauma, acronym SHIFT, program, which is a hospital-based violence intervention program that offers a range of counseling and support services to victims of violent trauma. Under her leadership, her team takes a holistic approach to breaking the cycle of violent trauma through evidence-based counseling and crisis intervention strategies. Before leading this team, she served as a social worker for Memphis Child, a medical legal partnership between Labonner and the University of Memphis, where she helped address social service needs as an intervention to social determinants of health. Prior to her work at Labonner, Lydia provided crisis intervention and intensive case management to families fleeing domestic violence as a program coordinator and case manager for Memphis Area Legal Services. She also served on a number of teams at University of Memphis Kindred Place and Cathedral of Faith Collaborative and was named Field Instructor of the Year in 2019 by the University of Memphis. Throughout her career, Lydia has committed herself to the service of Shelby County and some of its most vulnerable populations. Lydia holds a Bachelor of Science in Psychology from Crichton College and a Master of Social Work from the University of Memphis. She is a member of the National Association of Social Workers and a licensed master of social work. We are excited to have Lydia Walker with us today. Um, As we talked about in her bio, um, a little bit about what she does, we're excited to have her on and for her to explain a little bit more about the work that she does in her role. So welcome. Thank you. Such a great opportunity to be here. Yeah, we're so glad. Thank you for joining us on this this Monday morning. Um, Okay, so tell us a little bit about um, your role and explain a little bit more about what shift HVIP means and and what your role is. Okay, great. So as program manager, uh, let's start with what SHIFT is, and then I'll talk about my role. SHIFT is supporting and healing individuals from trauma. And this is what we call a hospital-based violence intervention program. So there are many of them throughout the country. And um, you had Dr. Regan on not too long ago. Mm -hmm. She talked about how um, the violence of the children that she was seeing how they could take care of the physical parts. Mm -hmm. But then there were needs that were beyond that once that family left the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so we're the answer to those needs. Mm -hmm. We're the liaisons that connect those families with resources. We provide uh, a a gamut of resources, really. And they're called wraparound services. So uh, I have a team. Uh, Currently, Montel is our mental health counselor that works on the team as well. We also have a social work intern, and we're hiring another staff person. And all of us are basically connecting with those families once they are either um, hospitalized inpatient or they are ED only and go outside of the hospital we follow up with them soon after to connect and provide those services so my role is really to lead that charge of making sure that the team is connecting with the families that the resources are being provided Um, but I would describe it more as being we're the liaison between 
inpatient and outpatient. Okay. Our work starts inpatient, but then we have the privilege of going into that family's homes, their children's schools, et cetera, and working with them uh, beyond that hospital stay. So. Wow. Okay. And so with these families, obviously, and, and let's just to give some idea of right. the of the different types, we're talking about your gunshot victims, yes. right? Yes. Your um, like name some of the traumas that maybe you would you would say are some of the ones that y'all see here in Memphis. So we specialize in working with those that are like you said the gunshot wounds, uh, the knife stabbings or assaults. Okay. Those three areas and. Um, to date, we've had we've actually enrolled over fifty five families okay. for twenty twenty two, and while that's a good thing, that's yeah bad that we had that, that number many. of families right. that we actually are having an impact on. Um, so when they come in the hospital, oftentimes they all coming in through the ED generally. Right. Okay, so they can be hospitalized and have an inpatient stay mm-hmm. for an extended period. Sometimes a few days, sometimes much longer, just depending on the severity of the uh, trauma. But then there is a group that comes into the hospital and they only are there for the ED visit. Within 24 hours, they're discharged and go back home. Mm -hmm. And so we reach them on a different scale, different methodology, but same thing. Each one has their own needs. And so that's what we're there to provide those needs. And what is the hope from this? What is Mm. the... You know, why was this put in place? I know that really, you know, the statistics have shown the rise in all of this. Unfortunately, a rise in Memphis, but a rise really everywhere. COVID has has made that even worse. Um, And so tell me what the hope for this program is. Let me go back to um, Dr. Williams. Okay. When she um, began working with this, the trauma unit, she is the medical director over the trauma team. Um, She saw just what I talked about before, Mm -hmm. that, yes, our youth, they come in, they have these uh, traumas that happen. We patch them up. We send them back home. Mm -hmm. She began to realize that sometimes home wasn't really home. Yeah. Sometimes it was they are living in a hotel Mm -hmm. or they haven't been to school in a year or um, just that child leaving the hospital and having any special kind of equipment, that home wasn't prepared to receive it. Mm -hmm. And so the hope is that we're actually connecting with these families, individually providing the resources, but additionally connecting them with our community organizations Mm -hmm. so that extensive um, connections are made that allow that family to not just heal from the individual trauma mm-hmm. that brought the child to the hospital because that trauma has the ripple effect impacting right. the entire family. Right. And so our hope is that we're going to provide those wraparound services that will help in that healing process, um, I'll say naturally and spiritually so, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it covers all of the emotional healing, the physical healing, um, the mental healing, because mm-hmm. that's a huge component of it. Um, so I can go on and on, but yeah, that is the really big hope. And so they come in, they all come through the ED, right. and there's obviously some kind of metric that right. has to be done in order to say this falls under this shift program, right. correct? Right. And so then at that, you're alerted, your team is alerted. Tell mm-hmm. me kind of of what those steps, because obviously y'all aren't there 24-7. Right. 
families come in Saturday night at 2 a.m., Sunday morning. So kind of, you know, what is that if that family comes in and, you know, hopefully they they are quickly out. And, right. you know, we know if they're inpatient, it's a much bigger deal. Right. Um, so, you know, kind of lead me through that. How do how are you all making sure no one's falling through the cracks? How are you making sure that the metrics are met to where those families are getting what they need? Because really our hope is that you never see them again. That Absolutely. This, you know, this doesn't happen again. I remember when my husband was training and, and um, was at Region 1 doing his trauma services, you know, that he would literally see some repeat right. patients right. that had come in for a gunshot wound, right. you know, and six months later, see the same guy again. And he said, right. I eventually looked at him and was like, hey, man, wherever you're running, whatever you're doing, whatever group you're in, you need to walk away. You've been yeah. shot now twice in one year. Right. Like, stop doing what you're doing. Let's try something new. And so I know y'all's hope and desire is to break this cycle cycle that's right. happening yeah. to hopefully that they aren't being seen again and again or their family members or or whatever else. So I know it's got to be an aspect of education, breaking the cycle. So tell me even about the metrics of how you capture them, and then kind of what you do from there. Okay. I love the question. Um, and let's start here. SHIFT is an acronym for Supporting and Healing Individuals from Trauma. Mm. So when we talk about the hope, definitely recidivism is one of the greatest things that we want to prevent. Mm-hmm. Um we really don't want to see this child come back in the hospital with something similar or even worse. Mm-hmm. That is that's a huge thing. Right. But how that happens is the trauma team gets an alert uh, or some form of activation that this patient has come in. So they, our social workers, our medical team, nurses, doctors are aware of the program. They begin to talk it up and say, hey, we have a, a team here that wants to provide services. It's just a part of our standard of care is the mm-hmm. way that we describe it. Okay. And so um, once they begin to talk to them, inpatient, we will follow up the next morning. If they're outpatient or, or uh, discharged from ED, then we will f- have a phone call within a reasonable amount of time shortly thereafter Yeah, and, and present those services and say, hey, I know so-and-so talked to you about this program. Here's what we provide. Okay. The biggest thing we want to start with is always mental health. Yeah. Because with any trauma, that's, yeah, yeah like we talked about that ripple effect. Yeah. It doesn't just impact that child who's sick. That impacts the entire family. Right. And when we're in an ecosystem that has um, a lot of poverty, like we've talked about mm-hmm. uh, in this city, one missed day from work hits a, a family very differently when you're depending on one paycheck, especially. But even if you have a couple and um, they're just lower income, that ability to be able to make up um, missed wages or um, the child having to be out of school for an extended period and needing additional services that are going to help them to transition back into school or be at home for an extended period. Mm -hmm. So, all of those pieces are what we are going to work with. Mm-hmm. Some need uh, social security, unfortunately. Some will need um, to have a IEP set up, the individualized education yeah. plan for the child. So whatever component um, 
that family says, hey, we need help starting here so that we don't have this impact again. And 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 here's another part that I didn't think about. We have mentors that we're connected with. Mm-hmm. The city has provided uh, connections with the team that is going to be started work that has started working with us now. We also work with 901 Block Squad. So those mentors are there. Just, just like your husband said, "Hey, mm-hmm. stop what you're doing." They're saying, "Stop what you're doing and we're here to help you to find alternative things that mm-hmm. you can do in lieu of mm-hmm. what you're doing." Mm-hmm. Cuz oftentimes um Assault is really around bullying, mm. believe it or not, and uh, that happens in and out of school. Mm-hmm. So when we can help the, the youth to find something else that they can get engaged in and we can get them out of the current situations that they're in, even if it involves housing. Yeah. We're, we're doing that. Wow. Wow. So. And so... You obviously work with them as well. I mean, I've uh, y'all work with Tim Flack and his team over there as well, right? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. So, so that's where you kind of weave in other parts of, um, and we've had Tim on with his team kind of explaining more of some of the things they do. So as yeah. you said, if it's the Social Security, the IEP, any of those things that maybe take needing someone that understands law and policies and that stuff. So you weave in them. Absolutely. And then weaving in these other groups that are really working with violence and trauma and trying to really, like you said, change the cycle of what's happening. Right. Um, Man, what what an amazing, beautiful thing. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, you have the metrics. You you, Does the family have to agree? They do. Okay. They do. Um, That's why we... We frame it as part of the standard of care. Okay. So. um, But they do have to say, I'm going to accept your help. Yes. And I'm going to move forward on whatever that means. Yes. And that's why when I gave you the number of uh, 55 plus families that have enrolled, that's out of uh, probably 100 some odd families Mm. that qualified. Yeah. But for whatever reason, chose not to accept those services. Okay. Um, do you feel like that has something to do with just the stigma that sometimes comes with mental health? Or, you know, um, I feel like sometimes those that, um, you know, have lived the life where they've really had to provide for themselves and only themselves and they don't have anybody else on their side. It's their paycheck and their paycheck alone. It's hard sometimes for them to accept help. So do you think some of that is even trying to continue to push the envelope of it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, I can't do it all alone. That's not the, we're not supposed to be doing it all alone. Do you think that's part of it as well? It's, a big factor. Um, mental health in the African American community um, has not been accepted mm-hmm. uh, over the years. Mm-hmm. It has not been the go-to, mm-hmm. and so we are recognizing now that families tend to be a little bit more open. Mm-hmm. Um, I give you an example. I had a mom. Son was uh, actually attacked by a stranger mm. on his way home from school. Mm. He was assaulted, and the kid thought. The man was going to kill him. Oh, gosh. So in his screaming for help, someone did intervene. Several people did, in fact, thankfully. And um, mom initially said he needs mental health counseling. Yeah. And I generally say, and what about you, mom? Because yeah. this didn't happen just to him. It happened to you right. as much as to him. Right. She opened the door to say, 
well, I think I can take a few sessions. Mm. And I was like, that would be good yeah. for everybody. Yeah. Because just being able to be in that safe space. Yeah. Um, so this is a huge trust thing. Yeah. And it is not just the mental health piece. Right. It is what you see it. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, if I've had to go it alone and I have found that my support team is me and my household yeah. or very few people outside of there. Yeah. Opening that door isn't always easy. Yeah. So our role is to come in and say, hey, we got resources. Yeah. But what I really want to hear from you is what do you see as your major concerns? What's the crisis at the moment we can address? Yeah. And once we can address that crisis, we're building trust with the family yeah. to say we can help you with these other things. Wow. Let me give you a um, um, family that we worked with Um Mom's daughter was um, assaulted uh, at school. Mom had recently lost her job. Dad was working, but the family's dependent on this one paycheck. And so um, when the assault occurred, they only had one car for transportation. Dad's gone. She couldn't go to the school, address certain things. Um, she had an issue after uh, we'd helped with one of the major things, which was the children were actually um They'd had bed bugs. Mm. She'd had to get rid of all the beds and mm -hmm. hadn't been able to replace it. Mm -hmm. We were able to help with uh, connect with someone. They were able to get some beds. Um, got the children off, you know, air mattresses and everything. So that really did open a door for yeah. mom. Yeah. Um, but the next situation occurred when this last ice storm hit. Yeah. And we were everybody's looking for water. They had a broken pipe. Mom said, I don't have a way to get to the store to get more water. We're out right now. Um, the main pipe uh, to the house is, is burst, and we don't know when someone's coming in to be able to prepare it because everybody's got the same issue. We were able to deliver three cases of water. But beyond that, she says, I got one more problem. She said, and I haven't been able to wash clothes during this day. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, we're staffing the cases and talking about, hey, uh, this is so mind-boggling. Where do we get help for washing clothes, mm -hmm. right? How do we manage this? And someone said, there's a laundromat at so-and-so, so-and-so, and once a month they do this service where anyone can come in and get clothes washed. Mm -hmm. We were able to set it up, get a gas card, get mom there, get the laundry done. Children were able to go, and this happened during Christmas break, so they were able to go back to school with clean clothes. Mm, amazing. But imagine that yeah. small situation. Yeah brought about a real change mm -hmm. and uh, mom is then saying yeah i want you to help work with my daughter on the mental health counselor yeah. i want you you know but yeah it's those little things right that become the windows of opportunity yeah. for others absolutely a little bit of her seeing y'all come through for her trusting that y'all got her back and right. um and we're not in your business we mm -hmm. are not trying to tell you what to do we're not mm -hmm. dictating we're saying talk to us tell us what the need is yeah so so how long do you follow these families? Good question. For six months to a year. So okay. it really depends on, um, we had one family that literally, um, household was very stable, but the child um, had to deal with the person who assaulted her. No, it was a gunshot wound. Uh, going to court, and they just really wanted support in being able to go to court. So that family, we were only following for about six months. Okay. So it depends on what uh, the needs are okay. and uh, how in-depth the family wants our support. Is it only Shelby County families? No. Um, Shift was actually started uh, in the response to 
uh, I go back to Dr. Williams again, her desire to be able to meet these needs for the family and the city of Memphis saying, hey, we have to do something that prevents or intervenes when a child is experiencing this type of trauma. And um, so they funded our positions, but they didn't put limits to say only here. Okay. And so it freed us to be able to deal with some of the families that are outside of the local community. Um, And that helped because we actually had a mom that ended up having to move within the city. And we would probably wouldn't have known that uh, had we not been able to work with that family. So so this is a collaboration of 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 who? Tell me who the collaboration is is about and from. Certainly. We are working directly with the trauma team. Uh, They are our, hey, here's a patient. Here's who you need to see. We're rounding with them on a regular basis uh, to meet those families. That's trauma team at Le Bonner. At Le Bonner, absolutely. And then we're also working with our community partners. Uh, As I said, the city of Memphis has a team that is now uh, working with us. They will be those mentors for the families. Okay. 901 Block Squad, we've been working with them as well. They also work as mentors with the family. UT, um, there's, I always get this name because it's long, Center for Youth Advocacy and Wellbeing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Good job. You nailed it. Nailed it. I've been practicing yeah. it, really. <laughs> um, so they they are able to work with the family even beyond because they have uh, multiple programs okay. that uh, the youth can get involved with. Okay. Um, those are the main partners, but we are actually open to anyone who has resources that can fill a need. Mm-hmm. And so, but those are the main partners that we are working with right now. And where does the funding come from? Through the city of Memphis okay. at this point. Yes. Okay. Wow. So city of Memphis is the funding. Yes. But then it is a program that still, so, so who are you employed by? I am employed by Labonner. All okay. of us are employed by Labonner. Okay. But the city agreed to allow Fine us to be, order. yes. Got it. Okay. Okay. Man, that's really amazing. Kudos to Memphis for uh, seeing yeah. this need and um, and seeing, I mean, just as uh, Jenny Lynn, who we had on talking about our community partners, right. you know, continuing to just nurture this relationship of, you know, our goal, I think, just even thinking through, you know, years and years ago of that the role of a hospital is only to, yeah. you know, heal and, and get them back into the world. But how really Labonner has taken such an active role of saying, we hope we don't even see you. What Absolutely. what can we do to prevent you from coming into the hospital in the first place, mm-hmm. whether it's the asthmatic program or, um, you know, y'all's program or whatever program there is, it's saying, what are we doing to try to keep our youngest, most vulnerable patients right. from being in the hospital, being sick or, or experiencing trauma? Mm-hmm. Um, in the first place. So so with y'all, you're, you know, having the families who have already experienced the trauma. Right. I know there's some things being done as well of, and I don't know if this falls under shift or not, but to even, you know, I've seen the things about doing walks and, and different things. You know, what is being done to even say, let's try to stop it. Right. Let's let's do everything we can to prevent the violence and the trauma that is happening to our most vulnerable, our children. Mm-hmm. Is shift involved in that or is your role more of once they do come, what are we doing to support them? Well, it is both. Okay. So glad you asked that question. Um, yes, we participate with the walks and any other type of event that is preventative. Mm-hmm. But specifically, what we're doing right now is 
When we provide services, we don't do it just for the individual child mm -hmm. that experienced the trauma. We are doing it for the entire family. Right. So we see the siblings as the intervention part. Mm. And in that way, we're trying to reach them early enough, uh, especially with the focus on 8 to 12-year-olds. Uh, we want to prevent them from experiencing the same level of trauma. Think and is about that it. based upon research, that 8 through 12? Tell me about that. The reason that we target that age is because most other programs are starting when they're teens until they're 24, 25 years mm, old. Okay. We recognize that sometimes it is almost too late. Yeah. Um, not yeah. always, but right. in many cases it can right. be too late. Right. Okay. And so therefore we decided we wanted to start younger. Yeah. Love and that. if we can okay. do that, mm -hmm. um, they're seeing eyewitnesses to what has happened to their yeah. sibling. Yeah. Now, how do we help you so that this, this doesn't happen to you? What can we put in place? Right. What are the safeguards? Okay. And so um, that's a big part of the intervention. Um, Brittany, we also were awarded one of the OJJDP grants, which is the Office of Juvenile Justice um, grants. And so we that grant is going to allow us to do what we call e-shift. So this will be services where we're working with um, Shelby County um, and their, the court system, I'm trying to say, mm -hmm. the juvenile court system. And okay. so we're providing services. They have a program called Ceasefire. Mm -hmm. That particular program, again, is for youth who have been um, impacted, not just with gun violence, but uh, they're trying to prevent them from having court um, interactions, adjudications, yeah. et cetera. Okay. So we're going to be working with those individuals, but again, those siblings, mm -hmm. so that we are, again, doing the intervention part. We're, I mean, the prevention part, so that we're saying we don't want you to yeah. experience what your sibling has experienced. Wow. Tell me a little bit about why you're doing this. What's your background? What what got you to this place? Because I do feel like this is a niche. This is, yeah. you know, it it's it's not my niche. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's amazing what you are doing, but I, my background and much of of how I was raised and everything else, I I don't think that I would be the fit. Right. Um, I want to support you, whatever that means. Right. Um, but tell me about yours. Tell me about how you got to this place. Well, um, previously working at Le Bonheur, mm -hmm. I was a part of uh, the team that you mentioned with Tim, the Medical mm -hmm. Legal Partnership. Mm -hmm. So I was a part of that team, the social worker. And therefore, I am seeing every type of legal case mm -hmm. that came in, but I'm working with the social work components. Again, the housing, mm -hmm. um, education initially. Uh, sometimes there isn't a need for IEP, but we just need to update an IEP mm -hmm. or those types of things. So my background was one where, uh, and I've been a social worker long time. Okay. <laughs> I've forgotten the years now, but anyway. In different uh, in different realms. In different realms, right. absolutely. Because we, we really had our interactions with you through the legal team of social right. work. You asking, you know, if we could assist some of your families with Definitely. needs they had. Yeah. Definitely. And, okay. and I uh, was also a part of the social work team there at Le Bonheur. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we're seeing all these types of patients. What really brought me to this work, I believe, was the fact that... Um, much of what we do now with our families 
end shift is what I was doing with that medical legal partnership. Mm -hmm. I was going in the homes. I was meeting families where they were Mm -hmm. to address whatever that need was. Um, Someone asked me one day, said, "Uh, why did you choose to accept that position? And I went, sometimes everything you've done before Mm -hmm. has prepared you for this. Absolutely. And being able to manage a team and being able to help them to understand how important their self-care is, mm-hmm. how important it is to keep some flexibility in the schedule, just different things that will help you to be supportive of the family, but then again, also maintain your own self-awareness, mm-hmm. your needs for you. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm I'm that person now. Mm-hmm. At this point in time, I'm that person. Yeah. And this was a new program totally. you said start of twenty twenty two. Yes. So the conversation started happening twenty twenty one. Right. New program started twenty twenty two. So right. this is really year two. Um so y'all had a, a year under your belt of of um over a year now, but a, a year under your belt of kind of seeing the impact it's making, seeing maybe even having some reflection of why are some families saying no? Why are some families not accepting it? What can we do to change that? You know, whether it's, you know, we're learning that too, especially in the realm of counseling, you know, how we offer that to families. And so I feel like we're often having to look at that. I think early on when when David and I had the desire to do counseling, it was a why would anybody say no to that free count? Ca- we're offering you counseling to get better free um, and then realizing, I know there's a lot more than that. And so maybe changing wording, maybe right. changing how we say it, maybe following up, maybe, you know, even, um, you know, checking in. We're, we're really that's a huge component of what we're trying to do in 2023 is mm-hmm. um, some changes in how we're doing counseling to try to get more in. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, having a year under your belt, what what is the goal? What is what are your hope and desires for 2023, 2024? You know, what what are you really hoping you and your team hoping to see from it? OK, good question again. Um, I would say, well, let me go back. We aren't quite a year because we even though the first couple of months was being hired, trained mm. and that type of thing. So we didn't actually begin enrolling families until March. So okay. March is our actual benchmark of one year. OK, but nonetheless, um we came in flying the plane and building it all in all in one. Yeah. And so we've had opportunity to look back and, and ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, why are people either denying the services or just saying not right now sometimes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I want to say 55 is still an amazing number yeah. for year one of a brand new program that's not been done. Right. I think that's pretty, again, breaks my heart. Yeah. That you have that many that did accept it breaks my heart that there's more than that, that have experienced the trauma, assault, whatever it may be that their family has experienced and they're not getting help that they need besides the medical care because we know they're getting that. Um, But I do think, I mean, a huge pat on y'all's back that you've been able to influence and impact that many families in a really short amount of time when you look at it and the fact that you follow them. That's that's a huge thing. We know that from the work that we do, so many of the families that we follow, that it's not a one and done. I mean, it's yeah. a 
numerous and to to get them to trust you Mm -hmm. and accept the help and then to continue to reach out to you um, is such a win, especially in your first year Mm -hmm. and in the communities that you're really trying to impact that often don't accept that. And so um, y'all should be very proud of what y'all have accomplished in a really short amount of time. I can say that we definitely are. Um, we, when I talk about staffing the cases, we are talking about some of those details that mm-hmm. um, this is what brought the family in. Here's where we um, met them. And this is what came after that. And then there are those who um, you are doing certain things with. Um, they sometimes just fall off. Mm-hmm. You yeah. don't have a clue as to what happened, right. why it happened. But that's just a normal, normal part of this yeah. work. Life. Yeah, yeah. it Life. is. We it all is. say that, yeah. Yeah, but um, I would say that our greatest hope is one to <laughs> continue to have this level of impact with other families. Mm-hmm. I smile and laugh because we don't want to have to have it. But yeah. since we do, right. let's be as aggressive or assertive as we can right. to have this continued level of success. Mm-hmm. But then also to reexamine um, where are better entry points? Mm-hmm. We're looking at uh, some of the ways that we're using staff now and saying, hey, can we change this, mm-hmm. improvise that mm-hmm. so that uh, we're meeting them a little earlier or uh, in a different way. Mm. But Because um, if y'all found, one of the things that <clears throat> I have found in mentoring for so many years is that the the walking into their room in one of the most worst moments of their lives they're often in shock they're often in denial they're often in what in the world just happened Um, and so often especially when I'm meeting with families that um, you know they're the medical team has realized that the child more than likely is not going to survive and I'm trying to talk to the family about what we can offer counseling wise I have found that I often have to turn to someone that is not immediate right. you know but still has an impact and maybe I turn to you know grandpa or right. I turn to best friend or whatever and say hey she mom has my card mom has my info but I'm saying to you when you know we get a couple weeks down the road. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember who I am and what I can offer and how I can help. Because right now, she's not going to remember Absolutely. because she's just in a state of shock. And so I'm sure y'all are seeing that as well right. of, you know, hopefully making that impact of, hey, we're here. But right. then maybe it, it may be weeks down the road it before they'll remember or they'll say, wow, this is having a bigger impact than we thought. And that's very true. Um, So with the inpatient, like the medical team, we are seeing them every day that they're hospitalized. Wow, okay. With the outpatient or the those that are discharged, I right. should say, from yeah, ED, yeah. We, are, we are trying to get them as soon after that incident occurs to mm-hmm. say, we're here. Mm-hmm. We are also following up again to say, Hey, just checking in, want to make sure that there's no needs at this point in time. But it is that, uh, I guess you call those touches, mm-hmm. just those continued touches mm-hmm. to try to let them know we're here, we're available. Um, and and sometimes saying, sometimes it's the smallest thing that you can ask that we are trying to work with you about. Yeah. So the team is um, excited. They are 
well-trained and equipped to be able to continue to make those types of touches with our family. So I, I realize that if we are not um, really vigilant about that, mm-hmm. we probably won't continue to have enrollment as as high as we have now. But it's okay if we don't have that continued um, level because most of our um, HVIPs in the countries now tend to impact 20 to 25 percent of potential. And tell me again, I don't know if we ever said what HPIV is. Uh, Hospital-based violence intervention okay. program. So uh, the, the we are at a 30, I want to say 37, 38 percent tile right now. So even if that changes, goes above or below, the thing that we're looking at is more than anything how in-depth we can go with that family. Mm, okay. So that's really our goal. Um, when we talk with mom, she may be having some other issues that are totally unrelated, mm. but they're impacting her ability to be able to care for the child. Right, um, right. And for that, too, it, it, I, I'm assuming it also, if if the child is in care of grandparents, grandparents. It's it's yes. When you say the family unit, yes. it's whoever is really involved with the the care of the child. It is. Okay. Um, we don't exclude because it's not with anyone. We're we're trying to make sure that we impact. Yeah, we are impa- impacting the unit. Okay. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, um, I, I mean, I feel like we touched on a lot. Is there anything else that you think that, that we and our listeners should know? about SHIFT or about HVIP or um, just the work that Labonner and the community resources are doing? Yeah. Well, the one thing I would say is that... Uh, or what we also, what we as a community can do to also support you in the program or help in right. any way. All right. Good. Thank you. Um, I would say that know that this work... Uh, oftentimes we hear people who are complaining about the violence in the mm-hmm, city. Mm-hmm. But I look at it as we are a bridge, just like you mentioned, between the hospital and the community. Mm-hmm. And if there's ever an opportunity for anyone to get involved, look into things like this. Mm-hmm. There are lots of mentorships that are mm-hmm. available, mm-hmm. I think, for our youth. But do people want to dedicate that time mm-hmm. in order to be able to do that? Um, we've had medical staff that have asked, how can we get involved with SHIFT? And we're saying, hey, just make sure that initially, because it is, I guess, kind of a closed thing because they have to come into Le Bonner, uh, just make sure that the work that you're doing with them on the front end and letting them know about the program mm-hmm. And so we can handle it from there. Um, but if they are, we're also asking them to connect with other mentorships um, programs outside of the hospital mm-hmm. so that those can be great, greatly supported our mm-hmm. youth. One of the things that I find is, uh, and I think they've proven this with data, that if there is one caring individual, mm-hmm. it isn't that the parents don't care. Mm-hmm. It's oftentimes that they are so very overwhelmed mm-hmm. with all of life situations mm-hmm. They can't provide the level of care that they'd like to to the child. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of times emotional, mental. Um, and that child is wanting more of that time. So when we can have someone who is able to provide that mentorship to be a part of this and come alongside mm-hmm. just to do this work, mm-hmm. 
That's yeah. the biggest thing. Okay, so you talked a little bit about, you know, some things that we should know. Is there anything else? I know that you touched on uh, your mental health counselor and some different aspects. Is there, you know, anything else that you kind of want to add? Because that's obviously a big piece of what y'all do. It is. Um, as I said before, we that is really where we try to start with our families. So fortunately, uh, the trauma team has mental health counselors already on staff. Uh, they're headed by uh, Dr. Hawes, and she is training students as mental health counselors. So when they are inpatient, they are seeing all of those trauma patients automatically. Mm. For those that are ED only, when we reach out to them and they agree to this um the services will connect them. So it's it's wonderful because they are doing it in every format. Uh, if we have to provide transportation sometimes to get the child there, we'll do that. Um, if they are needing it to, to do it virtually, they are willing to do that. So it's a, a service that I think makes the program stronger mm-hmm. because they are there and they recognize this is a part of Labonner, again, the standard of care that they are offering. So, And so this is a, a program that's already at Labonner that is. you all have just partnered up with. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And so something that really any patient that possibly might need it, that's something that's actually offered, but this is specific to trauma? Specific to trauma. Yeah. It is okay. right now. Okay. Um, they would love to be able to extend those services. Um, Dr. Hawes is employed by University of Memphis Brain Center. They'd love to be able to extend those services to other programs, but right now it is uh, right there for trauma. For the patients. trauma team. Okay, got it. And mm-hmm. then you said students that are also training are also able to see them. Yes. Yeah, what yes. an added thing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. Well, thank you for everything that you and your team do. We're, um, I know that I've learned a lot today and um, really inspired by what y'all are doing and, and the changes that you're seeing and the impact that you're making. And um, I think all of us that listen, you know, wherever we are, we want our cities to be stronger. We want Absolutely. our cities to be less violent. Yes. Um, and we want to see the youth of our communities and our cities have the ability to be kids and to grow up to be teenagers, normal teenagers and adults. And, um, you know, we don't want them to experience some of the things that they're unfortunately having to see or hear or experience. And so um, we will continue to be an advocate for SHIFT and and uh, in any way that we can and know that the Four Spence Fund is behind you, backing you, yes. um, and supporting you in any way that we can. But, I know that you all are. Thank you. Uh, really, the families appreciate all the all of the services that you all provide within the hospital, especially. So we appreciate that your continued uh confidence in the work that we're doing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for being on. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today. Thank you.